Amen. Well, congratulations on making it halfway through 2020, right? If there, if there ever was a moment when we all deserved a participation trophy, this is the moment, right? I, I'm expecting mine to uh, come in the mail uh, anytime this week, but um, we, we are halfway there. And uh, who knows what's to come uh, when level two uh, arrives uh, starting this month. Um, but so much is big and noisy and troubling uh, in the world around us in the moment that we're living in right now. But one of the things that First Samuel helps us to do is it, it, it takes us behind the scenes. It takes us past what is outwardly obvious and it, it, it reveals to us some of the, the non-noticeable places where God's at work, where God's kingdom is moving forward, where God's attention and care are being worked out and received, even when human eyes don't notice them. In fact, ne- next uh, time uh, in, in our study, we'll uh, head to the little town of Bethlehem and, and see the unnoticeable there. But here's where we've been so far uh, in our study, just as a reminder, uh, we, we talked about how things are not what they seem, chapters 1 through 3, that God is not like you think, that we don't know what we want, chapter 8, and then tonight, God's king isn't the one on the throne. So, uh, turn open your Bible, your device, whatever you have with you, to 1 Samuel chapter 13. And God had a different plan for Israel than the person that they happened to find most impressive. And, and sometimes, you know, the, the towering figures, the, the visible factors that loom large in our lives, they aren't the ones that are most important no matter the fact that they're the ones getting most talked about and and noticed. But often the the way things appear is all that we'll ever interact with. And that's what we've seen Israel struggling through, and we all have our own uh, battles with that as well. Uh, There is a whole um, subgenre. I brought up the Karen meme last time. There's a whole subgenre to the, the Karen meme uh, that I've noticed on Reddit, and by the way, I, I thought Reddit was a place where only like guys in their 40s uh, hang out, but then Eli Chen tells me he reads Reddit every day. Um, but this, this, this subtopic of people getting mistaken for the manager when they don't even work at the store, and uh, you know, having uh, an unhappy customer stomp uh, in their direction and, and demand uh, attention, demand uh, their help, in finding some product, and, and certain people find that as a moment to have a little fun and, and mess with them and make that uh, conversation even more possible than it normally is. Uh, but you have kind of a, a, a case of mistaken identity here in the nation of Israel. They have demanded a new manager, and uh, they're, they're not sure that the one that they have right now is the one who is fit for the job, even though Saul appears to be the king that God's people need. He's the king that, that's after the people's heart. And outwardly, he, he looks impressive. In fact, he literally stands ahead above the rest of the nation. He's tall. He's somebody they can actually uh, look up to. 
and respect. And at first, he has a great start. He's a, he's a military leader. He rallies the truth, troops. He leads them to a significant victory in battle. But then you come to chapter 13 of this book, and you get this really odd statement, verse 1. Saul lived for one year and then became king. And when he had reigned for two years over Israel, and the people who uh, work on translating the Bible, they they struggle with that sentence a little bit because the the Hebrew literally reads this. Saul was a year when he became king and he reigned for two years over Israel. And we all scratch our heads. As, as we read that. And what's going on here? Well, there, there's different ways of understanding that. But, but did you realize that the Bible uh, it, it sometimes includes sarcasm, which will make your reading of the Bible a lot more interesting if you have an eye uh, to, to, to notice the ways that sometimes the narrator is throwing shade at the characters that he's talking about here. And then that might be what's happening here. It, it's like they took a one-year-old uh, and made him king. In all of his immaturity, with all of his character flaws, and his reign was cut short in the end, right? As a result, Israel's political idolatry is exposed in this moment. But, but either way, we begin to see Saul's pride and his presumption lead to his downfall. There are problems despite how things looked at first on the outside, Ralph Davis tells a story of a, of a baseball game that happened in Minnesota in the early 1900s, and there were these two semi-pro teams competing against each other, and they're in the ninth inning, and neither team has scored a single run. And, and finally, uh, one team gets a run, and then it's the bottom of the ninth, and the, the, the second team is up, and their, their batter hits a single, and then the next guy who's up uh, drives a, a ball into the outfield, and they start running the bases, and, and he's running, and, and, the, and the, the batter who was in front of him collapses at third base. And they keep going, and then he, 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 he swings around and, and, and picks up his teammate and drags him the rest of the way across home plate, and the umpire calls two runs, and they win the game. Uh, the only problem was he had, he had died of uh, cardiac arrest at third base, right? Sometimes what initially looks like a victory and what you shove through in order to force happening masks the fact that there is something damaged and dead going on. And that's what we see with Saul here, right? Uh, he's pushing through to a victory, not noticing problems on the inside. And it's a, it's a helpful character study to examine our own walk with the Lord and just going to consider two things that get highlighted in these uh, chapters. First is, the, is the, the concept of apparent worship. And the second is apparent repentance. So first, apparent worship. Not everything that looks like worship is pleasing to God. And this account begins with something of a worship service. It doesn't look like the one that we have here. In fact, the one that we have here doesn't look exactly like how our typical worship service would be either. But it's, it's, a, it's a moment to understand a heart of worship. In chapter 13, 
the army of Israel is encamped at the town of Gilgal, and they're about to face off with the Philistines in battle. And, and the passage says that they, they, the Philistines came upon them with chariots and horsemen, and so they can stare out at the enemy lines and see their foe. And, uh, and it actually describes them as being like sand on the seashore. That's how the people of Israel were promised to be to Abraham, right? I'm going to make of you a great nation, more than you can number, like sand on the seashore. So this is, this is significant imagery for God's people. But here it is describing the ones who want to come and oppose them. And Saul is waiting and waiting for Samuel to come and offer the sacrifice before battle to worship God, to seek his favor, but he is delayed, right? And seven days go by. We've been talking about the moments of struggle that we find ourselves in when you have to wait for something you expected to come a lot sooner. It brings its own uh, temptations to us. Uh, you know, it, it would be only right to quote from the Lord of the Rings because this is a Lake G. Christian Center message. And, uh, you, you know, got Gandalf's famous statement to Frodo that uh, a wizard is, is never late. He arrives precisely when he intends to. That's apparently how, how uh, Samuel felt a, a prophet is as well. He just arrives when he plans. But the, the people that Saul has gathered, they become afraid. And they begin to scatter. And Saul notices he's losing the people here. He's losing their respect. He's, he's losing their willingness to follow him. And the moment has become urgent. The pressure is real. And so this is what it says in verse 8. He waited seven days the time appointed by Samuel, but Samuel did not come to Gilgal, and the people were scattering from him. So Saul said, bring the burnt offering here to me and the peace offerings, and he offered the burnt offering. As soon as he had finished offering the burnt offering, behold, Samuel came, and Saul went out to meet and greet him. Samuel said, what have you done? And Saul said, when I saw that the people were scattering from me and that you did not come within the days appointed and that the Philistines had mustered at, uh, at Mishmash, I said, mustered at Mishmash, that's quite a tongue twister. I said, now the Philistines will come down against me at Gilgal and I have not sought the favor of the Lord. So I forced myself and offered the burnt offering. And Samuel said to Saul, you have done foolishly. You have not kept the command of the Lord your God with which he commanded you. For then the Lord would have established your kingdom over Israel forever. But now your kingdom shall not continue. The Lord has sought out a man after his own heart. And the Lord has commanded him to be prince over his people because you have not kept what the Lord commanded you. And Samuel arose and went up from Gilgal. The rest of the people went up after Saul to meet the army. They went up from Gilgal to Gibeah of Benjamin. 
Uh, Steve, and I have there uh, a, a quick video of an Amazon delivery person going above and beyond uh, in delivering this package. So if you could play that real quick, uh, let's check this out. I set you up to fail, and thereby uh, set my up for, for this moment. Uh, so here, here's how this works. Uh, Amazon delivery person uh, runs up to the doorbell, knocks three times real fast, shouts the words abracadabra, and then runs away uh, from the uh, doorstep and leaps over their potted plant in the process. Uh, and all that was caught on video by their, their, their doorbell camera. And she was uh, following the delivery instructions uh, to the note uh, that, that were left for her because uh, this lady had ordered this package and not realized that her uh, teenage son had set the default settings uh, on Amazon for uh, whenever you deliver a package. That's how you have to do it. And she gets all the instructions uh, correct. Uh, you know, you have those memes that go around, uh, you know, un in instructions unclear, I ended up microwaving my cat. Uh, well, here, here you have a moment uh, for uh, Saul where Samuel's instructions were not unclear uh, to him. Back in chapter 10, we looked at this last week, he tells him exactly what he's to do. He tells him, in fact, we, we saw this with amazing specificity, uh, the people that he would meet along the way. Uh, the, the towns and locations he would stop at, what would happen to him at each moment, what he could expect, and then he was to come to Gilgal and wait seven days in full until Samuel's arrival. But Saul came to the conclusion that the word that had come to him by prophecy was no longer a reliable guide for the circumstances that he faced. What's going on here? What, what is he interacting with? I think two words summarize what he is feeling. is, is the word pride and the word pressure. And they go hand in hand. And Saul has a, has a bit of a self-confidence. He's, he's got a desire to be somebody. He often feels threatened. You notice that in the, in the storyline as... David starts to rise to prominence and, and, you know, little Israelite girls are singing songs about how many people uh, Saul has slain versus David. And, and you know, he, he uh, wants to angry tweet about them, about how they're not giving uh, him the reputation that he's due. So he, he, he wants to be somebody and, and feels like he can handle whatever problem comes his way. But he also has this insecurity. He is somebody who answers to the people's desires and demands. In fact, he's exactly what they asked for. Right? That, that's what his name means in, in Hebrew. Saul means what was asked for. And that's what his heart responds to. I mean, this is the kind of situation that none of us would want to be in and trying to, to lead through. It, it's kind of like, uh, you know, back in the days when we used to have children's ministry 
and, and y'all were helping out in LCC Kids, and Pastor Key's preaching an extra long sermon, and, you know, the kids are demanding seconds on snacks, and they're getting restless, and you're starting to bribe them and just offer them whatever you can in order to keep the peace and not have a mutiny on your hands. Uh, well, Saul's confronting more dangerous uh, situations than that, right? He, he can see the enemy encroaching. And everything that he has, all the, the natural resources that he would have to face off Israel's foes are starting to retreat, starting to question, is this legitimate? Is this worthwhile? Can you lead us in this moment? He becomes restless, right? And, and and we all face circumstances like this, and, and you're, you're facing them right now, and you're going to continue to face them in your, in your future, where people expect something from you. They, they, they frame a certain response, a certain action that they want you to take, a certain way that they want you to voice something, or stand for something, or oppose something, or promote something. Right? And, 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 and sometimes it's beneficial to have the influence of people outside of us, encouraging us to take a certain step or to rethink something. And, and, that, and that can be helpful. But we, we live in a mob culture. And, and it's a mob culture that, that it expects you to toe a certain line. And sometimes that line lines up with what God applauds, and often it doesn't. How do you interact with that? How you face the, the pressures and the demands of the people around you, right? Um, peer pressure, you know, it sounds like it's some term borrowed from my childhood in the 90s and late 80s. But, it, it, you know, it, it just, it, what, what used to exist in one kind of setting, in one kind of environment, and maybe at school or in your, your neighborhood, it's just multiplied to... Uh, exponentially in the, the world that you're growing up in in the variety of noise that you're having to listen to right now. What do you do with that? I find this to be a very helpful quote from A.W. Tozer. He says this, I claim the holy right to disappoint men in order to avoid disappointing God. Who are you afraid of displeasing? God or the 14-year-old sitting in the same row as you right now? Or somebody else in your, your future who uh, will frame expectations for you that will call into question walking faithfully before the Lord? It's striking here. Saul interprets his circumstances as an emergency situation and therefore one in which he can kind of dispense with having some kind of direction from God. Which those are the precise moments that we need the voice of God in. In the fog of war. When, when life has become messy and confusing. When we face conflict and problems and trouble. These are the moments when we need God's voice near. And yet he finds it to be dispensable. 
as long as he can go along with the show, with the appearance of having God's favor in battle, of doing the superstitious act of going through with a meaningless sacrifice just to try to have the show of God approving of his actions. And so in a, in a moment of poetic justice, what Samuel ends up taking from Saul is the very thing that he felt like he could do without, the voice of God. In verse 15, Samuel arose and went up from Gilgal. And there's going to be one more moment where there's an interaction between Saul and Samuel to come. But the prophetic direction that Saul felt he did not need has now been removed from him. Back in the the 1600s, there's a man named Mr. Rogers Uh, not the guy who played with puppets, but a preacher named Mr. Rogers of Dedham. And uh, he lived in Britain in the 1600s. And in every period of the history of God's people, we have found a way to neglect God's word. And what's striking about this, this particular period is just a century before, for the first time in ages, the church had the word of God in a language that they could understand and with an ability for them to read it for themselves. And yet, Bibles had already begun to collect cobwebs and dust. And so, John Rogers preached a message to his congregation about how they had neglected the Bible, and he, he kind of took on the, the, the persona of God saying, I've trusted you so long with my Bible, you have slighted it. It lies in houses, you care not to listen to it. Do you use my Bible so? Well, you will have my Bible no longer. And he, he pretends to kind of take up the Bible and take it with him. And then he starts to impersonate the people of God responding back to him, and he says this, He cries and pleads earnestly, Lord, whatever you do, take not your Bible from us. Kill our children, burn our houses, destroy our goods. Only spare us thy Bible. Only take not away thy Bible. He impersonates God again to the people. Say you so, I will try you a little longer. Here is my Bible for you. See whether you will love it more, value it more, whether you will practice it and live according to it, right? This is the 1600s where people like watched paint dry for fun. And yet still the church was finding a way to fill up activity with everything else but this. In the moments of life where we face noise and trouble and unrest and a thousand voices are flooding in. Is this this the one thing that we find that we can do without? Chapter 15 continues this tale of Saul going through with an outward show of following God while failing to heed his word. It starts in verse one of chapter 15 with uh, Samuel telling him to listen to the word of the Lord. And that, that verb, shema, for listen, for hear, for obey, 
shows up eight times in this chapter. And, and Saul is, is given the direction to, to, to go and engage the Amalekites in battle and, and to eliminate them, to, to not spare any of the other army or any of their goods or any of their livestock, but to put, to put them under what's something called the ban. And, and, and you know, reading that today, that, that might be something that confuses us, that, that troubles us. It'd be helpful to know a little bit about some of these, these people groups and, and surrounding nations that Israel w- was called to oppose. Uh, God is a God of love and mercy, and he is a God of justice. In fact, uh, he had his people live in slavery for 400 years in Egypt and wait and wait until he gave them the orders to go and to return to the land of Canaan and clear it out of those surrounding nations that had taken over the land that God had promised to Abraham because he said their, their iniquity hasn't yet reached the level where they deserve this. And that, that's how exact God's justice is. Again, we're, we're living in a time in which justice delayed is part of the, the conversation that our nation's talking about. But in the plan and the economy of God and his purposes and how he reigns over life and the universe, no wrongdoing, no injustice ever will go unanswered. But these people, the Amalekites, it wasn't because of their ethnicity. It wasn't because they were some different nation that God called his people to drive them out from the land. But it was because of their practices of opposing God and harming their neighbor, right? They, 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 would, they would take children, sometimes as young as four years old, and, and would put them in, inside of this, this altar to Moloch and, and set it on fire as a sacrifice to the deity that they worshiped, right? So, so it's just helpful to have that as, as a reference point when we read those passages in Scripture where, where God uses the instrument of his people, restoring them to the land that he had allotted to them and promised to them to drive out the nations that because of these these wicked practices were being expelled from the land that they occupied. And so Saul is is told to do that and and not to bring back any spoils of warfare. Um, this is, this is challenging for a military man like Saul to do, where he wants to show the nation that he is so desperate to have their approval, his ability to bring about conquest. Right? It, it, it's a little bit like this. I saw a headline uh, that uh, these uh, amusement parks in Japan have banned screaming on roller coasters. Uh, it's related to uh, COVID-19 and, you know, the, the, the spewing of droplets uh, as, you, as you go on the, on the ride, uh, which I, I get that. I, I don't know how many people are successful at pulling that off, you know, let's make this the most quiet ride possible. But it feels like it takes a little of the fun out of it. And it seems that, that Saul felt the same way in this ban, in not being able to return home with, some trophies and saving the best for himself. 
right? And so Samuel arrives. We're not going to take the time to read through all the details of the passage right now, but he comes back and, and, and Saul tells them, I, I perform the commandment of the Lord. And I, I love uh, Samuel's response. Well, what's this bleeding of sheep that's in my ears right now that I hear? It's like, come again. You want to tell me that you've, you've obeyed everything that God has asked you to do when, when there are sights and sounds right here as evidence against you? All right, it might look like faithfulness to destroy what is regarded as worthless while saving the best, apparently for sacrifice, but the Lord who looks upon the heart sees this lack of integrity. An outward show is no substitute for inward faithfulness. And when Saul goes to explain why he didn't carry out the Lord's instructions, we hear familiar to in verse 24, he feared the people and obeyed their voice. And Saul, the, the, the people that stand right in front of you that you can see, you find it easier to obey them than the God who rules and reigns over realities that are unseen. We have our own explanations that we tell ourselves, that we tell our parents, that we tell those around us for our partial obedience, right? You, you probably have your kind of go-to list of excuses. Um, if there's a moment where your parents are asking you, hey, why didn't you do this? What I, you know, why are we having this conversation again? Uh, you, you told me this, but that was, uh, that was a half-truth, and why'd you leave out that information, right? It will always feel right to you. Right? We, we just have this, this amazing talent. It's like our superpower for self-justification. It's just in us as fallen humanity. Right? And Saul exhibits that here as well. But, but, but again, no, notice his defense, um, these, these animals, these, these things can be used for sacrifice. I'm still going with the program. I'm still going to show up for worship. I'm still participating in church, right? I'm still checking all of the right religious boxes. And yet Samuel replies with these words that Jesus would later pick up in his interaction with the Pharisees. Verse 22, has the Lord as great delight in burnt offerings and sacrifices as in obeying the voice of the Lord. Behold, to obey is better than sacrifice and to listen than the fat of rams. And what areas of life do you give yourself permission to disobey God to dishonor the authority that God has put in your life. To live a life that lacks integrity. To listen to the voice and the approval of people and to be more concerned about the status that they provide for you than the commendation of God. Well, it seems that Saul has a change of heart 
in the end of this story. There, there, there is this problem of apparent repentance. And, and quickly, we'll, we'll consider two, two situations of repentance that, that pose problems here. And, and, and the first is God's repentance. Look at verse 11. The word of the Lord came to Samuel. I regret that I have made Saul king, for he has turned back from following me and has not performed my commandments. You could, you could translate that traditionally. I repent that I've made Saul king. But then we read this in verse 29. And also the glory of Israel will not lie or have regret, will not repent, for he's not a man that he should have regret or that he should repent. Right? Does that make you raise questions? It's, it's not a wrong thing uh, when you read the Bible to scratch your head and ask, what in the world is going on here? Right? Th- those are the questions you should be asking because it, it's the start of a process of understanding. This seems to just blatantly contradict itself right here. In the same chapter, we're told uh, God repents or God regrets and that also that God would never do that, right? So, some, sometimes these, these problems are, are the, the, the first steps in being able to gain insight into what the Bible is seeking to teach us here into the, ultimately here to the character and the heart of God. God is, is a God who is not caught off guard in this moment. He is not surprised in the least by everything that Saul has done. God has not made a mistake. This isn't a moment of confession on God's part that he has in any way done wrong. He does everything that is right. He accomplishes everything as he pleases. And yet, he looks on at a person that he created, a person that he gave the anointing of his spirit to, that he provided for leadership for his people and his heart is grieved. God is sorrowful at Saul's disobedience, at Saul's ultimate rejection of his role and his calling on his life. You know, but both, both can be true. God, God can be absolutely in control of every circumstance of life. His hands aren't off of the steering wheel. He's not forgotten us or, you know, somehow we've fallen off of the map of his attention. He can be perfectly accomplishing his plan for you, and yet everything inside of him says, this right here, I hate this. This saddens me. This moves me. This grieves me. That that ought to inform how we carry our own convictions in this world. There there is a right and there is a wrong, and yet there is a heart that can be moved toward sin and toward suffering and toward hurt and pain. And we see that in the heart of God here as well. But we also have to deal with Saul's repentance. He comes to a place of acknowledging sin. You know, at first he just promotes his record of doing everything right until he's confronted. 
with Samuel, but then he says this, verse 30. I have sinned, yet honor me now before the elders of my people and before Israel, and return with me that I may bow before the Lord your God. Did you notice everything he says there? I have sinned. Ought to be the end of the sentence. But could you do this for me, Samuel? Um, could you help restore my reputation? You see where his priorities lie and what he's ultimately after here. Whose approval or disapproval his heart answers to. Notice the, the pronouns that are, that are here, right? In verse 30, he talks about the elders of my people, but can I return with you and bow before the Lord, your God? My people, your God. He's already aware of his strained relationship with the Lord. He, he can't even call him my God. His disobedience has brought about distance and a sense of disapproval. And yet in this moment, all he can do is try to salvage what's left of his reputation with the people whose respect he's so desperate to have. And that's why this is, a, this is apparent repentance. Because it's not moved by an honest awareness, a, a, a same sorrow over sin that God has for us that would then become our heart. That's what Jesus means when he talks about blessed are those who mourn, those who see themselves rightly before God. We don't try to come up with excuses and defenses and self-justifications, but we recognize I have sinned. And by the mercy of God, would you restore me to fellowship with you and with anyone that I have sinned against? But Saul has other plans here. The esteem of people mattered more to him. And he wants to go through with this ceremony, this outward show of bowing before God with God's prophet looking like, hey, we're still on good terms. We can still go through with the photo op. We don't have to cancel that amazingly, right, Samuel goes through with the whole charade. Verse 31, he allows Saul to maintain the appearance of an undamaged relationship with God. And yet he says, this day, Saul, the kingdom isn't yours. God has given it to your neighbor who's better than you. God has raised up for himself a man after his own heart. God has moved on from Saul being king in Israel, even though outwardly he's still sitting on the throne. But things aren't what they seem. With this thought from Paul Tripp, he says, when you're more concerned about looking righteous than about admitting your need, you're celebrating human respect more than divine grace. And therefore, we're saying in our souls, I don't need God. I don't need his help. I don't need anything 
beyond just my own abilities and my salvaging of people's opinion of me in order to live life and have favor. It's a dangerous place to be in. And this is a, this is a tragic story, but it's, it's one that's often on my mind because I see myself so easily in Saul. And I, and I see our current cultural moment and the, the kinds of things that your generation in particular will be facing as susceptible to everything that he walked through as well. So guys, listen, I know this is both a heady message and it's a, it's a heavy one at the same time. But, but I want to pray for the Holy Spirit to personalize it because this is the power of God's truth. Right? God, God is kind to cause it to have this intersection with your life and with the unseen dimensions of your life where you need this most. Because if anything's clear from this study we've done, how things show up visibly ultimately matters little. Things aren't what they appear. So, uh, Seth, if you come up, man, play, and I'm just gonna take a moment to pray for us. God, we thank you for your grace. And we thank you that the reason we are speaking with you right now is not our faithfulness, not our obedience, not our sincere worship. Lord, it's, it's not based in us at all. It's your mercy. It's the fact that who we are in all of our mess so moves you. Or to come to us to pay for everything that's necessary to restore us to yourself, to cleanse us, to give us power to walk with you. God, we want to do so in a way that isn't superficial and, and content with just outwardly showing up in places. Lord, I'm, I'm grateful for people that show up. I'm grateful for a gathering of young people, Lord, in this season. And gathering people is a struggle. Lord, thank you for that. But God, we, we want more than that. We want impact and encounter. We want the help of your Holy Spirit. We want to see ourselves. We want to see the ways that we make excuses, the ways we give ourselves permission to disobey you because of whatever motivation is there. Feels right, feels understandable people around me expect it. It's more comfortable or convenient. 
God, there's always something that attracts us to be unfaithful. Lord, thank you for your word and the history of your people that Lord, helps us to see this kind of waywardness is, is not new. It's not unique to us. It's characterized those who are called by your name throughout history. But God, we, we want to be honest. We don't want to be surface deep and moving on to the next episode of the show of our lives that we're managing. God, we want to be honest before you. It's your mercy that moves on us to do so. God, where do we need real repentance? Where do we need faith? God, where do we need worship that's met with obedience and integrity? Lord, with a walking with you in the secret places of life, in the unseen dimensions, and not just in the ones that have an audience. God, you know us. You know each one of us through and through. You know the temptations we face individually. Lord, you know the pressures that we feel personally, the ways that we don't want to disappoint somebody and that somebody might not be you. You know. Help us to know. Help us to bring that before you tonight. Stand up together. Just want you to take a moment to listen and interact with the Lord. God reveals things. He shows us what we need to see. He uses the Bible to do that, and he uses the Holy Spirit in his ministry. And moments like this one to give us, give us eyes and ears that we haven't been living with. Do you want him to do that? Ask him to help you understand where you need this word. And what is he calling you to walk out? Can't use the uh, instructions unclear response. What's he calling you to do? What's he calling you to make right? Or to pursue or confess. Are you willing to take those steps with him? Listen, we're not going to end tonight with a 
worship song because to obey is better than bringing that kind of offering if we're not going to bring that. So whatever God has shown you, and he's going to pray for us and dismiss us, and the way that we respond is to walk in obedience to what he has revealed. So God, whatever we need, faith, courage, assurance, to be faithful to you in these days and in this season of our lives. Give us grace to do that. And may we have a readiness to respond to anything you ask and a hesitancy to respond to the demands of anybody else. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. All right, well, we got one more order of business, which is our cupcake birthday celebration for Val and for Jenna and for Judah. So uh, there are hand sanitizer stations in the back. Make sure you do that first. There's a little trash can in the back, but let's 